0: Close goes to the boards though, the Rangers. Here's Drury after it in the corner. Drury spun it out in fourth. Here's the shot.
1: Is up, sportscasters proper. Finally, after the holiday break, we are back for season three, episode seven, January eighth, twenty thirteen. The seventy eighth birthday of the King Elvis Presley and the one hundred ninety eighth anniversary of the Battle of New Orleans.
2: <laughs> okay, A little history there. Yeah,
1: two very related things. Yes. Yeah, the birth of Elvis and the Battle of New Orleans. Uh, Well, we've been gone for two weeks. It feels like three months based on everything that's happened.
2: Yeah, a lot of cool stuff.
1: And probably the coolest thing maybe that's happened since we've been gone is the NHL didn't cancel their season. Yeah, that's there will that's be pretty one. good. That's and that's big good. on this show, especially as we were looking at what would have been potentially a very bleak
2: basketball-oriented show yeah, yeah.
1: without the NHL. Yeah, that would have been rough. We were already talking about what kind of pop culture tie-ins we were (laughs) going to do to pass time.
2: Because pretending to uh, be experts on basketball is difficult difficult, for us.
1: Although I think I do a good job with Lee Jenkins later. You can uh, make your own (laughs) determinations there. Uh, But welcome back to the Sportscasters Proper. Uh, This is our show, you know what I mean? This is the one that we started uh, a few years ago, and I think this is one that we take a lot of pride in and we work hard at very hard on and uh, we do take a break for Christmas and the holidays every year. Uh but that's really just because we don't feel like it's right to ask people to be on then. That's a busy yeah, time for everyone and right. To book a show isn't isn't fair. So welcome back. And uh in case you haven't you've forgotten, you can find us on Facebook dot com slash sportscasters. Find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail dot com and our website is www.sports casters.com. Our last episode, I want to thank our guests whose names have been able to be mentioned over and over again Mike Tanier and Roy McGregor, who are on season three, episode six, before Christmas time. And ironically, Mike Tanier is going to be the guest on our other show. Our Football Nation presents the Sportscaster show this week. And you should be able to hear that while you're hearing this, it, you should be able to find that as well. Uh, so a good week for us, uh, interview wise, Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy, I can't think of a more important or fitting guest to book. Uh, he's very kind enough to join us. I'm sure he's got a lot going on right now with really the details of what is going to be a reemerging NHL basically in 10 days, um, still coming together. Um, we're gonna get into more of that in three things. Greg's gonna join us.
2: Seems to be taking forever to get the schedule out. Yes. Like something that like that's someone's job as the schedule maker. I mean I'm sure things have been planned and whatever, but
1: strange it's taking some time. It's man. a strange league. Just the way the league works is <laughs> <it's laughs> <just laughs> very strange. Uh we're gonna update the book club today. Uh I have some interesting information uh about the book club and about Jeremy Roenick and, and whether or not he's actually gonna ever appear on this show. Okay. I will read the uh the the quotes from the publisher, and we'll see what Don thinks. Uh, we also have an interview with our main man, Lee Jenkins, who's going to make his unprecedented 12th appearance on the show today, find out what's been going on in the NBA. they are about 33 games into their season, which would be almost all of what the NHL plans to play at this point. Right, right. And uh, we're going to end pick four a little different. We're just going to pick the four NFL games this weekend.
2: Right, yeah. What? Yeah. What? How would you pick one as the game of the week? Right, or? It,
1: yeah, so – you know, whatever. We're just going to pick all four of them. And right. that will serve as pick four. So we got a lot to get to um, and exciting stuff to talk about. So let's get started with three things.
0: Let's play a game. All right.
1: All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
0: (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) We just become best friends. Yep. Now let's move on to other business.
2: My first thing this week uh, the BCS Championship, Ugh. yeah, snooze fest, really, and it's going to be a little bit of a theme kind of and with some of our things here, just not an interesting game. Uh, I know Notre Dame fans are going to complain about the call on the And punt. I don't blame
1: them. I don't necessarily either. I think they were outmatched, and they weren't even close to the better team. Right. But what you need to do in a game like that is to get a break like that early to maybe change the momentum. Sure. And that call was totally wrong.
2: Because he was pushed into the...
1: Yeah, well, right. and I don't think he even touched him. Right. I mean, he made... First of all, he was pushed by an Alabama player. And second of all, if he did touch him, he was making every effort to turn his body sideways and get out of the way. And the guy
2: muffed it. Now, I haven't studied the, the play or anything like that, but I know there's a rule, and I can't remember if it's college football or the NFL, where if you bobble a kick, you're allowed... To catch it, like you still have that amount of time, like you can't be hit until like the ball hits the ground or something along those lines. Like you're allowed, like if you muff it a little bit, you're allowed to try to catch it. I didn't watch the play. It
1: seemed like Notre Dame got a bad break, but sure. But ultimately, Alabama was a much better team. Those teams,
2: yeah, aren't in the same league. Unless Notre Dame recovers that and scores, and Notre Dame forgets how to play, or Alabama forgets how to play football. That. The outcome wasn't going to change.
1: No, probably
2: not. Alabama dominated
1: the line of scrimmage, which is, if you can dominate the line of scrimmage to the level that Alabama did last night, you're not going to lose many games. I mean, they rushed for, two guys rushed for over 200 yards. I think they had like 265 yards rushing. They had over 500 yards of total offense. A.J. McCarron looked like Drew Brees in a championship game. I mean,
2: his girlfriend's the story of the day. Yeah, she like. went from
1: something like 600 followers on twitter to over a hundred thousand it's crazy Which is be nice if that happened to us
2: yes yeah uh
1: <laughs> we gotta wave up with a college football star or I, something
2: i guess so the best tweet i saw the night i can't remember who it was from i saw it retweeted it said something like i blame the pit kicker for subjecting us all to this game. yeah
1: the pit kicker or the refs not realizing there was two number twos on the field which would have given him another shot Or the replay guy in the Stanford Stanford game who didn't make that call a touchdown, which seemed like a touchdown to me. Or the replay guy in the Oklahoma game who gave Teow a pretty generous bobble or not bobble interception. I mean, they got every break all year to get him there, and then they ran into the wall that is the best team in the best conference. Yeah. That's won three of the last four championships. If I was a Notre Dame fan, I wouldn't hold my head down too low. No. it was. I'd be proud of the season my team put in.
2: Now I saw online – uh, maybe NFL.com. Do you think Teo's draft stock drops at all? Because that was an abysmal game by him. He was uh, he it, was awful.
1: It could, but ultimately, I think draft stocks are decided at, in things that are silly like the combine yeah. and interviews. And maybe he loses a round last night. A round he's never going to get back, and that's money he's never going to get back. But I still think that. A guy who plays with that intensity and that heart is going to get a chance. Yeah,
2: I don't think he would lose an entire. I'd be surprised if he even lost a whole round, unless he was really exposed. I mean, but well, basically, I see what him.
1: happened is the best offensive line in America got a good job at getting to the next level, and he didn't get off the blocks well. Yeah, and I don't know that he's the first NFL quality linebacker that to got a really bad had a bad game against that Alabama offensive line, which might have five NFL players on it. Right, right, right. So I, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it too much if I was him. And I just see I see in that player someone that I would take on my team any day, even if he only projects to be a nickel linebacker or something like that in the NFL. And I don't know. I'm not sure, a scout. Sure. I don't know what he projects. I just know that's the kind of guy I would take in my locker room anytime. Right.
2: All right. I guess that's it for that, really, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean we'll talk about that probably more in depth on the Football Nation podcast, and I'll talk about it a little at the end, just the BCS in general. So, on to uh, our highlight. We didn't play that just because we're Sabres fans, but the NHL is back. Yes, the Uh, NHL is back. I thought I'd be pissed about it. I thought before I wouldn't even want it at this point, but I'm glad it's back. I was sitting around eating dinner with uh, my wife and baby, and I looked at the clock, and we got a late dinner for whatever reason. I looked at the clock, and it's 7.30, and that was the first time I thought, damn, it's 7.30, I this. I'd be watching hockey right now um, every other night or whatever it would be every third night. And that's when I started thinking, well, football's going to be over soon, I'm going to miss that. So I'm glad it's back. You know,
1: I've been bouncing back and forth with this really since I heard that it would be back because I had kind of resigned myself to the fact that it wouldn't be. Right. I thought that they were out of time. And part of me thinks that this was a very calculated move by the owners, that they to some degree knew what they were doing the whole time, that, well, Somewhere in there, this was their plan.
2: It'll be interesting to ask Greg Wasinski later. Uh, Thomas Vanna came basically right out and said, it was this was stupid. Yep. This is the same deal that we would have taken in the summer. So he's basically implying that, yeah, the owners did calculate this. Yeah, thing. that's
1: what it feels like to me, and that bothers me a little bit. But then I think about it, and I don't think it was our owner. No. You know what I mean? I don't think he's been an owner long enough to be in a position of power. I haven't heard much about him being one of the main people at the table. It's been more the Jeremy Jacobs and uh, the Detroit owner of the world that have been kind of driving that. And the problem I is still believe
2: in our owner. And I was listening to, uh, on the way over here, our buddy Mike Shope that we've had on the podcast before, and he was talking about, how the hard thing for him to do now is going to be getting over the some of the stupid things that like some of the players have said, like David Krejci saying they they treated us like animals or something like that. And meanwhile, they're in first class planes and they get like allowances and stuff. I guess on those flights, yeah, they get per diems. Yeah, and they're millionaires. You know yep. what I mean? Like, why are they getting allowance? Whatever. So I mean, it's not to to use such terms like basically that they're they're slaves or animals or cattle or whatever. These terms they've used, I mean, that's kind of a stretch, too, for Joe Schmo, who's got to pay 150 bucks for two tickets to watch There's a game. people
1: who felt it, though. I mean, if you look at the last lockout and the year that was canceled, Mike Madonna lost $7 million real dollars that he's never going to get back. Right. You know what I mean? So these players did lose something. I feel and worse they lost for the it. Guy. Why? I, because the owners had a plan. Maybe that they wanted to go the NBA route. Right. Maybe. And I don't know that for a fact. I mean, I'm just speculating that. The way this all went down, it seems pretty fishy that suddenly you basically agree to a 50-50 deal that I've been hearing about since around the time they said it was the deadline to preserve the 82 season.
2: Right, and I I liked when I heard originally when there were rumors about the contract length. I thought it was something like five years, and now the maximum length is seven years unless you sign with your own team and it's going to be eight years. That's pointless to me. That doesn't... Fix the backloaded contract, and problem. was that
1: a reason to delay the season by years. half?
2: Yeah, who knows?
1: You know, so I think there's plenty of blame to go around, probably on both sides. Right, but I do strong. I my instincts tell me that this was going to be the result of this, regardless of what was negotiated at any point. Maybe that's just my instinct, and I could be way off. And we'll we'll ask an ex, someone who's more of an expert than us, and Greg Wachinski, as soon as we're done with this segment about that, but. Ultimately, you know what? I'm too big of a hockey fan not right. to be sucked back in.
2: And as a Sabres fan, it's exciting because there's a lot of lot of good-looking youth on that team, and it'll be fun to see what they can do this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad it's back. Buyouts. Two buyouts. If you're the Sabres, the you buy out Lano and, and Stafford.
2: Yeah, or I love Vanek, but, and I would hate to see him go. I think he's the most talented guy on the roster, but... You could potentially buy him out, though. Although his number, I think, is about it gets what it better
1: should. every year too. Based, if, right? I mean, if the contract is just the same, that w- that was extremely front loaded by the Oilers.
2: Someone hinted at—I can't remember who—it might have been Puck Daddy or someone on the Puck Daddy staff—and we we'll have to take him to task for it. That Airhoff would be a potential candidate, but his number is real attractive. It's like four million a year. I know it's a like all the crazy. And he played much better as the season. Went all the crazy semester. expensive years are already behind him. The first two were or the, or the wild ones. I, I don't think you'd buy him out, but I, I would buy Lano out. I don't see why you wouldn't. Lano's dead weight, but we can talk. A couple more
1: quick hockey notes I wanted to get to before we move on to right. the football that we are going to do on this show. First, congratulations to the USA Under-20 World Junior Hockey Team. Uh, started the tournament, which starts the day after Christmas, 1-2 and two, after two really difficult 2-1 to losses against Russia and Canada where in the last two minutes they had power plays but couldn't get the tying goal. They end up with a back-against-the-wall game against Slovakia, blow them out, blow the Czech Republic out in the quarters, and then, stunningly, in a lockout season where Canada has all hands on deck, any player that they wanted to be on that team was on that team, and Team USA dominated from the drop of the puck till the drop of the puck 60 minutes of unbelievable hockey played by our boys against a team that you have to, you have to, um, you know, uh, you have to go through to win this tournament. They had medaled the last 14 consecutive years, and both times the USA had won the tournament, they beat Canada in the finals and said this time they beat them in the semifinals. And then in the finals they defeated the defending champion Swedes who are on like a 15 to zero run in the tournament in terms of wins. Um, and they beat them two to one on the strength of two goals by a kid named Rocco Grimaldi, who was benched one of the games, was a 13 forward and didn't get off the bench. So, just a great, great to see the process that USA Hockey has put together with the development team play out. And to see this team who had never won the World Juniors now won, win three gold medals since 2004. And all three times to go through Canada, whose streak of medals in this tournament is officially over as Russia beat them 6-5 to in the bronze. And the very last quick hockey note, I wanted to give out a shout, a shout out to the Yale Bulldogs who went into number two Boston College and came out with a 3-3 tie. Not a lot of people go into that rink, especially as a non-conference opponent on the night that the Boston College coach, Jerry York, was honored as being the all-time winningest coach in college hockey, and they got a tie three to three despite their goalie letting in three of the first twelve shots he faced. Did he really?
2: Yeah. So I they, saw the shots on goal that game. They were almost, almost two to two one. Yeah, almost two
1: to one. Almost fifty shots. And congratulations to my younger brother on a big assist. And just a real quick story about my younger brother. There was a shot from the point. He was screening. Okay. He tipped the puck in the net. Okay. We watched it five times. If it didn't hit him, me, Paul, my uncle Paul, and Miss Caster, we all need, we all need new eyes. Okay, <laughs> and in the building, the goal was credited to the defenseman. It was his first goal of his college career. I saw that. Yes, and um, Anthony was credited with the secondary assist. And I talked to Anthony and said, Anthony, did you tip the puck? No. Anthony, come on, did you tip the puck? Nope. Didn't touch me. (laughs) You sure? Yeah, no, I didn't get a piece of it. That was his goal. Okay, you're sticking with that. Yep, I'm sticking with that, bro.
2: There you go. (laughs) Just the kind of kid he is. All right. Uh, on from hockey, we go back to football. It's kind of what has been made up the most of the podcast, and I guess we'll talk about. What you described just off the air is one yeah. of the worst, wild card, was the worst weekends? wild card
1: weekend I can remember.
2: Yeah, nothing good. Uh, we do a football podcast, and so I should be glued to it just for that purpose. But I don't know if I watched. If you added up all the time, I don't know if I watched half of all the games. They just weren't interesting. Uh, the Green Bay game was over at halftime. Uh, Adrian had a nice day. Not, he did his best. Not a big When you day. got a
1: quarterback who's going to throw 11 for 30 for 180 yards.
2: You know what? I heard that Ponder was out and that Joe Webb was in and I had watched him in the past in games and he's exciting. He's a, a little guy, kind of like Percy Harvin or somebody, but uh wow, is he bad. Yeah, 11 From, for 30. And on the very first drive as he's getting sacked, he just throws it straight up in the air. He was bad. He was and he did that more than once in that game. He's just uh playing yeah. like a playground
1: out there. But. Peterson did the best he could. 22 carries for 99 yards. I don't think anyone's going to blame the loss on them. I think ultimately they were outclassed a little bit. Sure. Maybe they won their Super Bowl the week before just getting into the playoffs with the roster they had. A lot of people predicted them to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. Yeah, yep. We said over and over they'd never get through the second half of their schedule. They yep. did basically on the back of one guy who maybe might have been a little tired
2: too. Sure. You know what I mean? So. And I think the Packers are very dangerous going forward. I do, too. They got a tough matchup this week, but uh, I think they're actually an underdog, too.
1: The other NFC game was uh, the last one. On Sunday, it started 14-0 Redskins. Everything's looking great for them, and then the biggest nightmare of nightmares happens. That's
2: the biggest bust about that game. That might have been an entertaining game, but you lose maybe arguably the most entertaining guy in the game because maybe he was rushed back from an injury, as it turns out. And, and that's just
1: turning into a big controversy about things like okay, last year it was Adrian Peterson on this field. Now it's RG3, it's whose knee buckled on this field twice without contact.
2: Oh, okay, they're blaming the field. You know, there's right. also
1: controversy between the coach and the doctor. Right. And whether or not. And the doctor, by the way, is the renowned Dr. James Andrews of Birmingham, who we shouldn't know who that is, but we do because when a player right. of this caliber or Drew Brees, for example, that's the guy who fixed his shoulder. I'm
2: sure he'll be going to him
1: now. Uh, he's there as we speak, as far as I know. Yeah. And uh, there's some discrepancy between Mike Shanahan and him as to what the process was to clearing him to come back to begin with. And uh, basically that just took all the steam out of the game. It took all the steam out of the Redskins and the Seahawks. Rode Marshawn Lynch uh, to uh, 24 straight points and a victory. Pretty easy one, I guess. Yeah. Ultimately,
2: the uh, What I thought maybe would have been the most exciting game What the indie. In Baltimore, game turned out to not be that. Baltimore kind of just again maybe outclassed them and uh, a little more veteran, and, maybe a
1: boost from the Ray Lewis thing, if you believe and sure. stuff like that. The uh, the Colts are only four and four on the road and not, they, not they, the best they, road. Team. Right,
2: they've done that earlier in the season too. They've had teams that like the Jets, who were terrible this year, made the Colts look bad at one point. So maybe maybe their offense and Andrew Luck aren't quite ready to uh, to beat up maybe the uh, the defensive powerhouse-type teams. But the, it's a great start for both of the rookies to get into the playoffs with those teams. I mean, those weren't great teams. I know Russell Wilson's still going strong in the playoffs, but his team was built on defense. and A little bit of a better better supporting cast, for right. sure. But, so for both of those teams, a nice year. I don't think either of them can be too mad about that. It would have been nice for the league because everything did work out the way we thought it would, it would have been nice for the league had the Colts won, Cause then we get Peyton and against the Colts, but it didn't work out that way. And to finish wildcard weekend, Andy
1: Dalton, boy, you got to find something else when you get to these playoff games. Cause you just don't have, negative six yards in the first half passing.
2: Yeah. And that game was close all game long, but it wasn't close. It wasn't that close. It wasn't that entertaining. Uh, I think you can have a close defensive game that's fun. Like if it's a team like Pittsburgh or Chicago or uh, these Seahawks and stuff that hit you and beat you up and stuff, that's fun to watch. But that game was just kind of too... The
1: Bengals' offense never scored a touchdown in the game. Their lone touchdown was a pick six. Pick six, six, yep. And you never got the feeling that they were going to be able to get the ball in the end zone. Nope. You just didn't get that feeling. Um, But that's it. I think the
2: Texans, I think that's their win. I don't think...
1: All right, so let's move on. Oh, one last thing about wild card weekend... I think that that wild card weekend is as good as anything any argument can make against expanding the playoffs. Yeah, why I would you? I think that argument should die right there. Foot- Clearly, there's teams already getting in the playoffs that don't belong there. It- we don't need two or four more.
2: Football does maybe the best job of it, uh, the playoffs. it's To get in is tough. you got to win your division or... Or make the wild card. I mean, it's it's more exclusive. Baseball is super exclusive, and they kind of expand it a little bit. Hockey is, and basketball are not at all. Half the league makes it, so it's really just a thing to filter out half the league. But what are they, what would they do with it? Yeah, they I've expanded. Heard talk it?
1: about playing three games over two days, kind of like with ESPN getting into the mix, and it all sounds like TV generated to try to find more games for. ESPN, who can't be happy with the year they had, they had a miserable Monday night football schedule. Yeah, Literally their best game was the Seahawks and Green Bay game. Right, right. Which the was fail ruined Mary, by fail Mary. What Was that week three or? was Three or four. It was yeah. right around there. Um, so, yeah, great advertising for the league to just keep the playoffs where they are.
2: And um, this week doesn't stack up all that much better if you go by the lines. Uh, two 10-point dogs yep. in the AFC. Yeah, the Broncos and Ravens. And I checked this game earlier when we were making our picks for pick four. The line on this game has already moved toward the Ravens a little bit. It's down to nine, right? It's down to nine on the the ESPN So a little bit of money going towards the Ravens. I guess so, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we should – I'm not going to give out picks or anything now, but I think that should be an interesting game. I've said repeatedly in the past that I think the Broncos are the most – the least flawed team in
1: the league. So I think the Ravens are the team this week on Most that one last week that are most opt for a letdown, uh, with the huge emotional game that they played with Ray Lewis and Ray Lewis's last game at home and him taking a victory lap and all that. I could see them. And I, to me, not. that's,
2: that's Houston this week. I, I just, I can see the Bronc, the Ravens, maybe the Broncos are a little stale after their bye. I don't know. Uh, it's not likely, but to me, I don't, I don't see any way that Houston beats the Patriots.
1: Yeah, I, I don't see it either. They've already played them once in a big spot and been embarrassed. Maybe they can learn from that. But I ask in the other show is my thought that Colin Kaepernick can't beat Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game, oversimplifying it, and you can hear Mike Tanier's answer on yeah. the Football Nation podcast, but I look at a lot of the games in that way this weekend. Ken Joe Flacco beat Peyton Manning in a playoff game. Sure. Right. Ken Matt Shaw beat Tom Brady in a playoff game. On the road, both of those quarterbacks on the road against two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the league.
2: Maybe that makes the Seahawks-Falcons game. I think
1: the Falcons are the most vulnerable home team this weekend. Um,
2: yeah, I would say so, too. Well, I
1: think both NFC home teams are vulnerable. I, I would... We'll get more into picks later, but I probably am leaning towards
2: chalk in the AFC and half chalk in the NFC. Yeah, I might I might be along those lines, too. Uh, but we've been picking on the Falcons all year long. Really, the Falcons don't have significant weaknesses anywhere either. I guess I just don't love their strengths all that much.
1: They're hard to trust. Yeah. We've been down this road before with them. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for three things don't forget you can hear a lot more about especially the division round of the playoffs on our other podcast at www.footballnation.com click on podcasts it should also be in news scroll for at least a couple of days and um, we're going to take a break and come back with the puck daddy Greg Wyszynski and find out what he thinks about this whole NHL lockout (laughs) Our first guest today is from Matawan, New Jersey, and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He is the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on yahoo.com. He is the co host of the Merrick versus Washinsky podcast. The Hockey News has named him the 92nd most powerful man in hockey, and he is making his seventh appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to, I'm sure, the very excited Greg (laughs) Washinsky. What's up, Puck Daddy?
0: I don't know man I was hockey news list I just I just blogged about Cosmo's uh list of the 30 hottest NHL players so I might be dropping off the hockey news list <laughs> this year, according to, according to the Puck Daddy readership.
1: Oh no. I, yeah. I well we'll we'll dispute that for you. We'll 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 put on oh, to hockey Appreciate news it. editors and tell them you should go up to 89.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Yes, I, I, I assumed I'd move up like one spot every year, and then like when the sun explodes, I'll be at number two.
1: <laughs> I like it. It's a good plan. Although I don't know about the sun exploding. Although yeah we would have eighty nine years or so, so we'd probably
0: be yeah done, exactly. Done yeah, that's way. a good spread. That's at right. least that's at least uh, what by my math at least eleven more lockouts.
1: Right. Yeah, <laughs> at least eleven more. So let, here's here's what's bothering me a little bit. I'm a Sa- Saber season ticket holder and. All right, I'm ex- I'm excited. I'm a big hockey fan. I mean, there's no hiding that we're both big <laughs> hockey fans, and it's hard not to excited to have hockey back. But part of me was kind of resigned to the fact that it wasn't coming back. And I really enjoyed the World Junior Tournament. And I have a brother who plays D one hockey at Yale, and I've been kind of really enjoying just him. And I guess when I first heard the news, part of me kind of said, "Boy, this all sort of feels like." it was a little too planned by the owners in a way. And you you can disagree because it's just a theory. It's not anything I have proof of. But when I look at what they agreed upon, I wonder why it was so hard to agree upon that when we could have played 82 games. And it gives me this gut feeling that maybe this is exactly what the owners wanted.
0: No, I totally think it is. I mean, the entire thing is out of a playbook. They, you know, use the same law firm that the NBA used for their lockout. Um, there was a i mean donald fear was kind of saying that throughout the entire process and, and i always read that as the players knew that the owners had a date in mind for how far they could push this and it turned out to be january 11th through the start of camp and january 19th for the start of the season and so you know give credit to fear i think he got more out of this deal than, than a lot of us thought he could and it's knowing your opponent's pressure points it's knowing exactly how long you could take this and and, and knowing, I think, more than anything else, that there wasn't an appetite on the, the on behalf of the owners to have the season canceled. So, yeah, I, I think there was a plan, and I think that it was straight out of the playbook. And, and I don't think anyone should be all that surprised that it got pushed to the brink, even though I thought it was going to be settled a little bit earlier than this.
1: Yeah, and... That bothers me a little bit, but ultimately at the end of the day, to me, it's still about the game, and I'm glad the game is coming back, despite everything the owners have done maybe since 1995, and the players also have a hand in it, but everything they've done to t- to kind of sour me, I guess I'm just one of the unsourable. The game will always, I'll always love the game, and the thought of going to the first Niagara Center for a Sabres game is just still really exciting to me.
0: Well, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like, and especially the notion of being, I mean, I'm an NHL fan. I mean, I always get a little pissed off during this process when I, I hear people put out the old, you know, it's not the, it's not hockey that's blocked out. It's the National Hockey League. And, you know, while that's true. I, I, I don't, my appetite's not, uh, not fulfilled by junior hockey or college hockey or European hockey. I mean, I'm you know, an NHL fan. so what I got, that's what got me into the sport. Um, so I'll always come back to it. Um, but, for me, I can't get too jazzed about the regular season. I mean, I know it's going to be fun. I know that it's, it's going to be a playoff atmosphere almost every night because there are so few games. But this whole thing covering the lockout um, left me so jaded and so apathetic towards a lot of the aspects of this game that I think it'll take the playoffs for me to get really jazzed again because um, the whole thing was just, lose half a season over what was uh, being argued, and and, and to have half a season sacrificed for for politics and and, and personality conflicts is just, it's sickening to me. So um, I'm not boycotting or anything, although I'm not going to buy a shred of NHL gear until next season, but I'm certainly not going to be super jazzed for the regular season.
2: It, it's not to lose the last lockout, to lose an entire season of the last lockout, but you can argue that some of the effects of the lockout were good and they actually changed the game on the ice. Is there any good from a fan's perspective that comes out of this lockout?
0: From a fan's perspective, well, yeah, sure. I mean, you get, you get a 10-year deal out of it, so if things are going well, we won't have to go through this thing for a decade, which is great, although I think everybody kind of assumes that we'll probably go through it again eight years. Because right. of the out, um, right. Yeah, I mean, there, there, are, some, there are some aspects of, of the CBA framework that are appealing to fans. I mean, if you're a fan of player movement, I think that this was a good deal because they've limited long-term contracts. Um, so you're not going to have guys into 12-, 14-year deals anymore. Um, so you're going to have a little bit more movement on that front. Um, clearly, with the the cap dropping next season, even though it's not going to drop as severely as we thought, there's going to be a bit more player movement there, too. So. I think from, from that aspect, there's, there's some good news. And especially also, if you're a fan of a, of a mid-market or, or sort of a, a, I don't want to say a struggling franchise, but a franchise that could use a, a little bit of assistance, the increase in revenue sharing obviously is going to try to even the playing field a little bit more as well. So from a fan's perspective, there's some good things here, but you, you just have to take a step back and, and wonder whether it was worth losing half the season to get this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think the best thing that will come out of this for Sabres fans will be the eventual buyout of Vili Leno, and I don't know if that was worth <laughs> half a season, but <laughs> um, we won't be too, too sad to see him go. You know, do you think teams can get together this quick? I mean, I know that the KHL is pushing really hard for the NHL players that are there to stay through the All-Star game. I know that uh, Kovalchuk said today he's not necessarily in a rush to come back and probably as a Devils fan you're worried he might not come back at all. C- is it realistic for this to happen this quickly? I mean, next Friday is or Saturday is the proposed start of the season.
0: There's no other way to do it. And, and I mean, if you think this is quick, imagine if they actually had pushed this thing to the brink and all of a sudden they get a deal on the 11th and now we're talking about turning around and playing games really quick. Um, the, KHL, the KHL stuff was interesting today. The Kovalchuk comments, some stuff that was reported by Larry Brooks saying that uh, the major um, Russian players in the NHL were were thinking about making a statement about not coming back because they weren't happy with uh, the escrow situation. Uh, I I, I talked to Ovechkin today. Ovechkin did a press availability in in Washington, D.C. And, you know, those guys were seriously bitter about the first offer that the NHL made. Um, Ovechkin to this day still talks about his salary being rolled back 24%. And, and how much that they completely pissed off the guys that went over to Russia. Um, so I think there is a, a, a lingering bitterness from those guys with regard to the National Hockey League and, and, and the way they negotiated the CBA. But, you know, Ovechkin's come, Ovechkin is back. Datik's coming back. Malkin, I don't think there was ever any threat of him staying there. Kovalchuk's a different situation. I mean, Kovalchuk, for whatever reason, seems to be trying to really take a stand against uh, uh, what's in the CBA, He's taking his time, playing a few more games over there. I don't know what the politics are for his decision to do this sort of thing, um, whether he's getting a, a ton of money under the table from the KHL or something, I don't know. But uh, but he seems to be the odd duck right now for, as far as the NHL players that went over there, and I'll be interested to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing uh, that I forgot to mention that I'm very happy about is the end of the trickle-down effect, which I know hurts the development of so many hockey players. It's nice to have the mandated... AHL players now that would be NHL players no longer having to, to take up AHL spots and those guys who got bumped down to the East Coast Hockey League being able to move up. That's an effect of the lockout that I never hear anyone talk about, but the captain of my brother's hockey team last year is a guy who played after the college season ended every game for the Kings organization, but because of the pushdown, he's only played eight this year. So that's it's nice to see everyone kind of back to where they're supposed to be and developing at the pace that they're supposed to develop.
0: It's funny though. I mean, there's a flip side to that, which is that the Oklahoma City fans got to see probably the best hockey they've ever seen with Everly and, and Nugent Hopkins, and of course Justin Schultz uh, doing what they did for that franchise in the, in the AHL. And then I was talking to a Southern Professional Hockey League broadcaster earlier this week, and he was telling me that the, it's been a hell of a season for that league because right. the trickle down yep. pushed, pushed the ECHL guys down to the uh, the SChL, and that hockey's been better. So. The trickle down works in in a, in, a, in a couple of different ways, yeah, you hate to see guys losing their gigs to n h l players, but at the same time you had this this improvement of the product down in the lower levels of uh of minor leagues in the u s that they they haven 't had before, so you know all that goes by the wayside and uh I mean at the end of the day, obviously it's a good thing because it means a lockout
1: over. right you know um I just saw a tweet from someone, maybe a friend or something, and it was like projected lines for the Sabres this year and like I'm looking at it and I'm like something is off on this I'm like oh yeah that's right we traded Derek Roy like <laughs> 13 months ago or something like Steve Ott's on the team now and I, I think it's a more of a league-wide question of who are the favorites I know a lot of people have jumped on the Rangers early but who, is there anyone specifically I got to think the East Coast teams and being especially you know New Jersey New York they're going to play. They're going to travel so little by the time the playoffs gets here. That's got to be an advantage. But who are the best teams in the league?
0: I, I, I forgot. I think it's the teams that, that, that have teams that have been together and teams that have chemistry together are going to be the ones that come out of the gate strong. And, and that's going to be the key. I mean, if you lose eighty your first ten games, what kind of time do you have to recover? And so you look at a team like the Rangers, which can return a lot, but obviously also add a lot of Nash. You look at a team like Vancouver out west that, that returns pretty much the same team, and, and you know, obviously, you know they're all. So if you're playing a, a ton of games within your own division, and Vancouver is playing inside that division, you know they're going to be okay. Um, if, uh, the LA Kings obviously returned pretty much the same team that won the Cup, and those guys had the benefit of, of getting all that rest to, to get rid of whatever kind of exhaustion yeah, from the right. Cup run could have been uh, apparent back in October if they had played. So I think it's the veteran teams and the teams that have sort of found some uh, consistency insofar as their roster over the last couple of seasons that are going to really come out of the gate well. And and, there's a reason people are picking the Rangers, and and I think that it's a good reason, which is that despite the, the seismic change of adding Nash to that roster, you're still talking about pretty much the same cast of characters from the last several seasons of the Tortorella and uh, the backbone of that team is very, very strong beyond the, uh, the superstars they have on the top line.
1: You got a chance, I'm sure, like I did with the lockout, To I assume, I'm, I'm making a huge assumption about you here, but to see <laughs> a lot of the uh, World Junior uh, Hockey Championships. Um, if that's true, which I would assume it is, uh, who did you see out there that will be, beside Ryan, Ryan Eugene Hopkins, which we know, uh, do you expect to be on NHL rosters? Did you see other NHL players out there?
0: Well, not. Uh, I, Jeez, that's a good question. I mean, I I think that one of the things that I've been trying to figure out with this new CBA is exactly what the situation is going to be as far as burning a year of eligibility. Right. You know, if you're if you're the if you're the Sabres, do you really want to burn a, a year of eligibility for anybody from juniors? I mean, if you're um, same goes for Montreal. Uh, you know, it's it's. It's a tough call as far as that goes. But as far as players that I was really impressed with, um, one guy that stood out to me, and, I, and I'm starting to wonder whether or not this is going to be the guy that we all look back on and say, how did everybody let him drop, is, is Philip Forsberg from Team Sweden, who's a right. capital pick, Washington, yep. uh, and was acquired in, with the pick that they got from Colorado for, for Varlamov. I mean, he, he looked like a man-child out there at times. And he's not even chilled out yet. And I, I was I was really blown away by how how well he played. And it was sort of scary to think that at some point he could maybe be like the Kevin Stevens on the line with Ovechkin and uh, and Backstrom if he ever made it to the uh, to the to the show in the next couple of years. Um, pretty pretty scary, talented kid. And, and really was an eye opener. The the uh, I was really intrigued by Seth Jones. I thought he had a, a, a very uneven tournament. But when he was good, he was really good, and his skating ability and and uh, and, and that his, his physicality at times I thought was really impressive. And um, I mean, obviously, based on his his pedigree as the son of an NBAer, I mean, it's it's going to be a blast if this kid goes number one. I mean, I think the mainstream press here in the states would pick up that story in a millisecond. Yes. Um, but he looks like he's got the, the goods to go beyond, simply having a really interesting backstory.
1: Yeah, yeah, he projects really well. I was a little disappointed with the Nugent-Hopkins goal in the first game where he had his stick under his armpit instead of on top of the oh, stick. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's 17-year-old, 17, 17 18-year-old kid we're talking about. So uh, yep. I was really impressed with number 15 on Russia. I can't think of his name, but he showed off a lot of skill. Um, and also I watched Gregorenko carefully and kind of to half answer your question, just in the words of Darcy Gear. He did say today that burning a year of the contract won't be an issue for him. If they yeah. think he's ready for the team, he'll be on the team. So I guess yeah, that's... Yeah, it'll uh, be interesting
0: to see what they do. It'll be interesting to see what Galchenyuk, you know, what that situation is with Montreal as well. I mean, those are those guys in Yakupov seem to be the ones that, that really, um, you know, well, I guess along with uh, the defense, and you know, with the Blue Jackets is hurt right now, seem to be the ones that would obviously have a shot at playing this season. So if that's the case, if they don't care about the year of eligibility, I mean, maybe maybe that's the byproduct of the CBA or or whatever. They can lock up those kids and not have to worry about uh, burning the year. Who knows? But uh, that's good to hear. I mean, you know, the, the infusion of of young talent could be a very good thing for some of these teams. Do you
2: expect? Oh, sorry. Do you expect to see a lot of trades right off the bat?
0: It's funny. I asked see, the uh, the Capitals GM that very question today, and um, he said he was already getting phone calls. Uh, which is pretty amazing when you think about how briefly these guys have been back in, on, the, on the job. Um, he easy to think that there could be a flurry of activity in the next uh, two weeks, but you get the sense that because there's no camp and, and because there's such little time to really grasp whether or not you have any holes in the lineup and, and, and get, you don't even have an understanding of who's in shape yet, that uh, the, the trade window is probably going to be for the first you know, through camp, and then for the first 10, 15 games of the season, we're really going to be able to see a lot of movement. I mean, there are definitely holes to fill on some of these teams, um, but the real tough thing about a forty-eight game season, um, even without the playoffs being expanded, is that it seems like everybody's going to be in a hunt. Right. So, who's the buyers and who's the sellers <laughs> in a season where? literally 30 teams could have a shot at the playoffs when they finally get around to uh, getting to the, the, the trade deadline, whatever that might be.
1: And I think that just brings out your point of how great this is going to be potentially for some of the smaller teams that maybe wouldn't have been in it for the long haul. You know, we see it every year in baseball with a team like the Pirates. They can stay in it for only so long and then they start to fade out. You know, maybe there'll be a team... Probably not Columbus, but they come to mind as a team that could, they just come to mind as a team that could use something like that. You know, I, I doubt they'd be the one, but you know, maybe someone else will will benefit from the shorter season and being able to stick around and sneak into the
0: playoffs. My favorite thing about the shortened season, and I think this might be something I write about on um, Puck tomorrow, is the emphasis on regulation of hockey. Like I, I am, I've always been a huge proponent of of making regulation wins worth three points, because I find it absurd that the first 60 minutes of a game is somehow the same value as the next five minutes in the shootout. I mean, it's nonsensical to me that that's the case. And in a a 48-game sprint with so many games within your own division, there there should be an emphasis on trying to keep points away from your opponent as much as you're gaining points. So with with that, I think that's the real benefit of a 48-game schedule is that regulation hockey... Uh, it is going to be paramount um, in, in a sprint like this. And, and that's only that can only be a good thing because I, I I really hate um, uh, teams hanging on for the charity point. There'll be a lot of that, too, especially for teams that are maybe some of the lesser legs in the league. Sneak, but I yeah. think for, for teams that are playing within their own division, um, if you're the Flyers, you, you're desperately trying to make sure that the Penguins don't get an extra point out of the
2: game. All right, I got one more kind of weird question for you, but you're – kind of on the pulse of the uh pop pop culture side of hockey too why is it when you type in maria karolenko uh ovechkin's new bride to be into google why is the first thing that comes up maria karolenko feet <laughs> <Karolinko>
0: feet? yeah <laughs> i couldn't tell you i don't know quite why uh that's a good question she must have um, i history. know that uh for me like I don't know if it's just, I don't know how to spell her last name or because they have the same last name, but Andre Carolango, the NBA guy, usually comes up when I say her name. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's an odd one. I don't know the answer to this. I might... do know that in talking to Ovechkin today, like, he's clearly like thrilled about this engagement thing, even though they don't know when they're getting married, because the, the day after they got engaged, she flew out down to Australia for a tournament. But uh, his go-to line, I think, about his, uh, his bride-to-be, is that uh, he has not yet been hit by a tennis racket, is what he says, which is is good information. And and really, you know, could lead to some interesting uh, battles if she wields the tennis racket and he wields the stick. It could be some real quality Princess Bride-level sword fighting, I think, (laughs) if uh, if they actually faced off at some point. All
1: right, one very last thing from me, and we'll let you go. And I should have asked you this before when we were kind of talking about the World Junior Championships, but we're all Americans here and probably all very proud that the United States has won their third gold medal since 2004. Uh, Canada's streak of 14 medals is finally over, and I can stop hearing about that. Uh, But I guess the question is, and I've seen and heard that other countries have kind of putzed around and followed this U.S. development program and looked at the USHL and some of the things that USA Hockey has done to make it possible for the first two picks in the draft to be Americans and for us to win three gold medals in a tournament we never had won one before. We don't have to call it a miracle anymore. Um, How excited are you about the prospects of USA Hockey in general just going forward?
0: Oh, extraordinarily excited. And, and, you know, I I think Jesse Spector from the Sporting News is one of the first guys to write about it, and uh, he's right when he when he writes that the the southern expansion for the National Hockey League and expanding the NHL's footstep into or footprint rather into into non traditional markets is paying off. A lot you look at the origins for a lot of those kids that are on the World Junior roster. that are from places that aren't in considered hockey hotbeds in a lot of ways. And I've always said this about about the, the U.S. program and, and international hockey and, and just the the direction of U.S. players as, as professionals. You know, we don't have our best athletes playing hockey. of nope. us got their best athletes playing hockey. Yeah. We don't. And a, a kid like Seth Jones is the, is the kind of example of a kid who may not necessarily have been in a, in a hockey track were it not for the fact that he, you know, moved to Colorado, played with the Avalanche kids, and, uh, and got into hockey. Um, we've got a, a, a ton of athletes of every demographic, of every nationality, of every ethnic background that simply don't have hockey as part of their cultural makeup. And in some ways are intimidated by getting into the game because either the cost of it or because their their friends aren't into it or, you know, it's such an alien concept to try to pick up a stick and play this game on ice. So the minute that happens, the minute you have this crossover where more and more elite athletes shy away from football or shy away from hoops and, and, and play uh, hockey on some level, I mean, there's no reason why there can't be a long-term dominance by the United States in international hockey, be it. World Championships, be it World Juniors, be it whatever. I mean, It's, it's been the mission of USA Hockey to, to do this, and I think we're starting to see uh, the seeds that were planted really start to blossom insofar as getting the elite athletes in our country playing, playing hockey. I mean, I, there's no question that, that it seems to be headed in that direction.
1: You know, and I have a great example for you, and I only know this because I'm an Oklahoma football fan, but Sam Bradford grew up in Dallas... Or Grew up outside of Dallas and his family moved to Dallas so he could play AAA hockey where he dominated as a Pee Wee and Bantam and didn't really shift to football until he got into high school. And it, you can make so many parallels between his situation and Seth Jones. And maybe when Sam Bradford was ready to make his decision, hockey hadn't quite made the inroads that they have now. And now we're seeing just a few years later, Seth Jones doesn't make the decision to go another path like Bradford is. He yes. stays with hockey. You know what I mean? And Completely. I think,
0: I think Completely. That's... And, and the other the other aspect of this thing that can't be underestimated is the idea that since the last lockout, the NHL's had ridiculous momentum culturally. I mean, it's it's become a, a hip thing to be a hockey fan. I don't, think it, I don't know if it still is after this lockout. We'll see how much damage they've done. But, you know, the, the matchups that they've had in the finals, the teams that have won the Cup, the Winter Classic, the fact that you have this entire generation of star players from – Crosby to Ovechkin to Stamkos the Taves, the Kane and all these guys, all of that points to engaging a a young generation of fans and making them hockey fans. And and that plus the availability of of, of hockey, both as a participatory sport and also as a spectator sport around the country, all this stuff's pointing towards there being a generation of hockey fans that are coming up and playing the game and and eventually, you know, maybe uh, you know, blossoming into professional players. I mean, it's.
1: And a huge, in a huge, huge guy like Bill Simmons becoming a season ticket holder for the Kings and <laughs> writing about them. I mean, I, I just you know, well, the, I mean, he's one of the bigger writers on the internet, and you know, he ignored hockey for years because of bad blood between the Bruins and the Kings. Being relevant uh, brought him back, and I, I think that means something considering how much well, ESPN ignores hockey.
0: Well, really, I, I think you know, second to him becoming a, a King season ticket holder is, of course, uh, him having me on his podcast three times. Yeah, I think that was absolutely. really the indication that hockey is taking over uh, as the mainstream. Yeah,
1: we were getting jealous. We are like, Simmons is stealing our boy here. This is, this is
0: nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, uh, waiting for my, for my post-walkout finale invitation from Simmons to get back on the podcast. I hope my incessant mocking of Barry Melrose doesn't make me for on an <laughs> for ESPN. I don't know. It may, it may be the case.
1: Ah, thanks, Buck Daddy. It's great as always. Thank you, boys. Okay, talk to you later.
0: <laughs>
1: and the plot thickens. <laughs> I actually have a newer email than I even thought going into this segment. Oh, cool! So it's kind of live. Yes. Um, let's see. It's nice how Gmail just kind of keeps everything together for you. Right. November 9th, I emailed the publisher of Jeremy Roenick's book, Mm -hmm. Expressing Interest. He said he will send a copy of the book. I said, thank you. What can we do setting up a spot? He said, probably in December, once he finishes up his Canadian and U.S. book tours. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Right. So I emailed him and said, um, on December 3rd, and said, I just wanted to check in with you on the JR interview. You had indicated it would happen in December he wrote back and said, J.R. is in the middle of his U.S. book tour right now. So I have to push it into sometime in January. So initially, the publisher must not have known when the book tour was because <laughs> he said it w- would be over in December. So, oh, an, a mistake there. Uh, then I emailed him on January 7th and said, fans of our show have read the book and want to hear from J.R. I waited for the end of the tour and the holidays to die down. You said sometime in January. Can we set something up? He replied the same day and said, if you pass along a few dates and times, I'll see if Jr. can do this. Being the flexible sports podcast that we are, right. I said, honestly, I can make any day or time work for Jr. Tuesday is the best day, but really any time that works for him will work for us. And the latest email back is Steve. Everything is on hold right now with Jr. and his schedule. With NBC, it gets... This is his words. Everything I hold right now with Jr. As his schedule with NBC gets sorted out. Oh, okay. I will let you know if he has time for this. Thanks, Bill. So I think that means we shouldn't hold our breath for any time with Jr. So he is going to go on the list probably with Hank Haney. Well, they should know as blowoffs.
2: They should know their schedule then as soon as I imagine we know the schedule because I imagine once the league schedule comes out, NBC's schedule would also be tied to that. So we will have to see, I suppose. I, we
1: have interviewed guys waiting in airports for planes. <laughs> we don't ask a lot from these people, 10 minutes on their cell phones. So, I mean, you've this guy's – we've promoted this book for over a month, and this is the last time I'll mention it unless he gives us some kind of commitment. But it's Jeremy Romnick with Kevin Allen. My Life as the Most Outspoken, Fearless, and Hard-Hitting Man in Hockey. Did you finish it? I read it all. I don't believe much of it. Yeah? Yep. And, uh, you know, maybe that's why he's not interested in doing much press. I I haven't seen him anywhere. Um, His book tour didn't come anywhere near here. Uh, I'm sure he concentrated on markets where he played and maybe there'd be more interest for him, which is so much strange considering what a big market this is for the National Hockey League. Uh, But... Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's Yeah, we'll wait and see. All it, we can do is ask. Right. You know what I mean? I feel bad because I'm sure there's some of our listeners who are looking forward to having JR in this podcast as we were.
2: Right, for sure.
1: Um and we'd still be glad to have him and you know, not long ago I did an interview with uh Jonah Carey at 10:30 p.m. on a Monday. Right. I'm literally willing to do an interview with Jr. any day or time that he can fit us in. So that's going to be up to the publisher and him, whether they find value in it. And maybe they don't, you know, maybe they just don't find value in it.
2: We shall see. We'll see what happens after the schedule comes out.
1: Yeah. Which so as soon as the schedule comes out, I I guess I email him back and say, okay, (laughs) you have the schedule. You've blown us off multiple times. What's the answer? Yes or no.
2: Yeah, that was I guess that's it. It was the only book we had in the book of the or the book club. So. so
1: during this week I will pick up pick out a book for the rest of January. And we will move on. Sounds good. Alright, we'll be right back with Lee Jenkins. Someone who would never blow us off, by the <laughs> way. Our next guest is from San Diego, California, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. In 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated and SI.com as a senior writer where he covers basketball, football, and baseball. He has been honored for his writing by the New York Press Association, the Football Writers Association of America, the Colorado Press Association, and was named New York's best sports writer by the Village Voice. He is making an unprecedented 12th appearance on the podcast today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to our main man, Lee Jenkins. What's up, Lee? Hey, how you doing? Doing very good. Excited to have you on the first show of 2013. Well, thanks. Always good to be here. So, while I've been, let's see, watching the NFL and watching a little junior hockey and following my brother's <laughs> Division One college hockey career, I've been kind of sleeping on what seems like a pretty interesting NBA season. So, it's time to get caught up a little bit. Let's start with the disaster, and we'll work towards the good. You're co- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know that that's a Lakers question. 15 and 18, already made a coaching change, and now Gasol and Howard are injured, quote-unquote, indefinitely. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, they. I don't think either of them will be out too long, um, but they'll be out. I mean, Gasol has a concussion. It's hard to know. He's not on this road trip. He could be out a week. Howard probably also a week or two. Um you know, which wouldn't be I – mean, the Lakers could really survive with, with either of them. They both play better without the other one on the floor. Um, but to not have both of them, you know, that hole that they're in is going to deepen. Um, and and Steve, I mean, the thing you wonder about is just when a team with this kind of expectations realizes that they're not going to win a championship. And when they kind of come to that realization – I think the fear for the Lakers is that they then kind of shut it down, you know, realize that this experiment has just been an utter disaster. Um, and then you, you look at the kind of situation where they might miss the playoffs and really become one of the most disappointing teams in the history of sports. We're, we're still a ways off from that, I think, um, because if they do con- continue to be engaged at least, I think they would make the playoffs and be sort of a tantalizing seven or eight seed um, that would then match up with let's say the Clippers or the Spurs or something in the first round we'd be looking at a you know one of these sort of one of the more bizarre chapters um, in the NBA where you know I don't know that they would be a favorite or an underdog or what they would be, um, but they would surely be that, that would be interesting. So they' like they're at a critical juncture right now. Um, they have to start to dig out of this. They need to start to see a little bit of hope and when those guys are hurt, it gives them you know less of an opportunity to dig out.
1: Now. There's been a lot of talk that maybe they hired the wrong coach. That the personnel for the mm-hmm. type of system that Coach D'Antoni wants to run just isn't there. Is that a fear you have for this team?
3: Um, well, when you have four, you know, veritable stars, four potential Hall of Famers on your roster, no system is going to be perfect for everyone. So what they did was they got a coach who had a system that would be really good for Steve Nash, who's under contract for the longest of all of those four guys. Um, and it was also, I think, pretty good for Dwight Howard, you know, feeling like he could be a great pick-and-roll player, sort of like Amara Stoudemire, a better version of what Amara Stoudemire was in Phoenix. So I kind of got that rationale um, you know, and really, if they brought in Phil Jackson, then you're marginalizing Steve Nash, and we could be having this conversation about how Steve Nash fits into it. The problem the Lakers have is that D'Antoni's offense relies on a lot of spacing of the floor, big guys who can shoot. You know, a stretch four. The Lakers are not a good three-point shooting team, but they're shooting a lot of threes right now, and that's problematic. And then the other part of it is that D'Antoni's not a great. Uh, defensive teacher, defensive coach. Even though I think he's, all, you know, he's not as bad. I don't think as what people say. Um, the Lakers just don't have a lot of athletic defenders. You know, they're not geared to play good defense. It's not even a matter of trying hard. I think it's a matter of athleticism. Um, so they've got some shortcomings there. Um, so it hasn't really. I mean, it, it, it's been a disaster too. It's like they tried Mike Brown's system, which is 180 degrees different. It didn't work. Then they've tried this, and it didn't work either. And at some point, you just wonder if the pieces will ever fit together, or if it doesn't really matter what system they're in. But no, the the, the offense has been has been bad, and I think you know part of the onus is going to fall on him too. It's like if he is this offensive genius he needs to be able to find a way to tweak this and make Pau Gasol comfortable. Pau Gasol can do pretty much anything on the floor except shoot threes, and they're putting him in a position to have to you know, shoot these long jumpers and right. going all the way out to the three-point line.
1: One more bad thing that kind of piques my interest, and I'm really excited to talk about the Clippers after that. The Dallas Mavericks are 13-22, and right below the Lakers, and they're 1-9 in their last 10. And It just piqued my interest because I'm not used to to a Mark Cuban team, not at least being closer to a playoff contender, and I got to imagine it's getting to be a very uncomfortable situation. Losing, one, winning one of the last ten with an owner who's never too far away.
3: No, you're right. I mean, this is the the worst he's been, I think, since he was a rookie owner. <clears throat> and so, and they've also got Dirk Nowitzki right now talking about you know whether they should trade him or asking about what the plan is in Dallas. I know that made some waves this week. Um, sort of Dirk's discontent. What happened was they won the championship, and they really felt, even in the season they won the championship, they were close to breaking it down. They didn't think that that team could win a title, that they were too old, that they needed to rebuild. So then they won it, and instead of sort of continuing with it, they decided to break it apart, to break pieces of it apart. So they didn't re-sign Tyson Chandler. They cleared cap space. They tried to do what the Knicks did and a lot of teams have done, which is wait on the big-time free agent crop, believing that Mark Cuban and Dallas would appeal to those free agents. And really, Steve, when you look back at this last few years, a lot of teams have set themselves back by counting on free agents who didn't come. And Dallas is one of those. They weren't able to swing the deal for Dwight Howard. They did not get Darren Williams, even though Dallas is their hometown. He decided to stay with the Nets. And so they kind of ended up in this no-man's land. They, they signed a bunch of veteran players to one-year deals, short-term deals. One of those really worked out for them, O.J. Mayo. A bunch of the others have not. Now, they're short-term deals. So, again, Dallas is going to have a ton of space and flexibility this summer, and they'll be able to be a player on the free agent market. But who are you going to get? Right. You know, At this point, it certainly doesn't look like Chris Paul – He's going to make himself available. Dwight Howard could be available, but he'd be giving up twenty-five million dollars, you know, to to leave the Lakers. So they could be, you know, it's it's they could be the team left holding the bag again. And then you've got an unhappy Dirk Nowitzki who's, you know, kind of getting toward the end of his career. So yeah, it's it's a it's a dim situation in Dallas, and they really need some of these guys on these free agents on big-time teams to enter dysfunctional situations and that's where Howard I think still may give them some hope.
1: Alright let's talk about some of the good in the Western Conference and I'm excited to talk about the Clippers because I know that you know from being on the show 12 times I'm a big Blake Griffin fan uh, seen most of the games that he played at Oklahoma being a Sooners fan and uh, I'm excited to see where this team is 27-8 and which is way above my expectations. They're 17-3 and at home. That That just jumps off the screen to me. How good can this team be?
3: Well, they can win it all. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that they will. I think the Heat can still flip the switch And um, as far as their defense. The Heat's defense has been bad all year, and that's kind of been a calling card from the last couple. But at this point, I, I, I call the Clippers the best team in the West. Um, I mean, they have they just have an incredible bench. I mean, they go so deep, and it hasn't even really been maximized all the way because Grant Hill and Chauncey Billups have been out. Um, but they've got this great depth. They really play together. You know, when you're around them, they have an incredible chemistry and love for each other, which shows itself in the fact that guys don't play a lot of minutes. You know, they have to sacrifice scoring. They don't even have, the Clippers don't even have a player in the top 50 in minutes, which is going to help them come postseason because they're going to be fresh. And if you remember last year, they were really ground down by the time they lost San Antonio in the, in the conference semis. Uh, But there are other factors with the Clippers, things that are happening. I mean, they were a poor defensive team last year. Now they're in the top five in defense. They really pounded the ball and didn't share it last year. Now they're in the top five in assists. You know, Chris Paul has completely changed the culture there, and he's the kind of player who can, you know, I think can lead it to a title. The questions for the Clippers are going to be these bench matters a lot in the regular season history shows that it doesn't matter a lot in the playoffs you know rotation shortened the stars rule the day the heat had a bad bench last year they still won the title will the bench really help them in the playoffs is one and the other is do they have that second big time scorer who can make baskets in the fourth quarter of playoff games do they have a guy another guy who commands a double team and right now with Blake Griffin I think the jury's still out on that. I mean, he's a he's a very good player, but is he that kind of guy who needs a double team every possession in the fourth quarter? And I don't think we can know that yet. I mean, even this season has been very up and down for Griffin, even as the as the Clippers have, have excelled. I mean, he had he has a great month or a great couple weeks and then he and then he comes back a bit. So, I think he is going to be the X factor for them as they as they continue on.
1: You know, we've talked before about a great quote from Charles Barkley talking about how good Blake Griffin is. Yet he hasn't even learned how to play basketball yet. Is he still in the middle of that? You think, or is it? Yeah,
3: and, there, and there's no guarantee that he ever will really learn how to play basketball. I mean, some, you know, some guys' gifts are different. Nobody gets everything, except maybe LeBron. Um, you know, Blake Griffin is an a, a incredible athlete. He, he is a good basketball player. He does know how to play basketball, and you know, he creates shots and. Obviously, an incredible finisher. His defense has gotten better, uh, but will he become kind of a, a, a fundamental force like Kevin Love or shoot like that? Probably not. And Kevin Love will never get what Blake Griffin has. The question is whether you know he's able to become consistent enough offensively, either now or in the future. And he's going to have to because you know the, the athleticism that separates him right now won't be with him forever. And I'm sure that's something that. You know, moving forward, like Chris Paul needs him to keep taking steps, to keep taking strides, and he has. He's taken them. They just haven't been um, maybe as consistent as what it would take for the for the Clippers to win the title. But, again, this is a it's a crazy discussion. I mean, we're talking about whether they can win a championship. Even right. with as presently constituted with Blake Griffin there, you know, doing what he's doing, they're still going to be a team right in the mix in the Western Conference at the end. Um, and, and, really, the Clippers – give the Thunder some problems. I mean, they have for the past couple years. So I think that's, you know, a lot of the teams in the West have reason to fear the Thunder, including San Antonio and the Lakers. The Clippers do not.
1: A lot of people wanted to write off Oklahoma City after the trade. A lot of people felt like they were almost dismantling their team too early or, uh, you know, that it wouldn't work without no, I'm Harden. But yet here they are, twenty-six and eight, half a game out of first in the West. Is this a little surprising to you at all, or?
0: Yeah,
3: it is. It's a little surprising. I thought they'd come back more than that. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't say they were dismantling their team. The idea is that they were entering, they were entering a period where you could potentially see a dynasty or something to that, is something close to that, a team that could maybe go to three finals in four years, four and five years, pick off a couple championships. Um, And they just made life a little harder for themselves, that's all. It doesn't mean they can't still get to the finals. Kevin Martin's been a really good replacement for for Harden. He gives you that third score. Durant's a better, you know, Durant Westbrook's scoring numbers may be down, but they're better overall players. Durant's getting other teammates involved, you know, rebounding the ball better. All those guys are growing as players. But, Steve, I mean, you had a situation there where you had three potential stars all growing together at the same time. And so that loss against Miami last year, they were in a position where that was going to be kind of, or looked like it was going to be sort of their first foray. But then they would learn from it, and they would harden off it, and and they would come back and and be better. And when you get rid of James Harden, you know now you're kind of taking a little step back. Can they still be there and win one? Yeah, they can, um, but they don't have somebody to hold the ball and create plays when Russell Westbrook is kind of freaking out sometimes in the fourth quarter, which occasionally can happen. They don't have somebody to bridge those gaps when Durant and Westbrook need rest. You know, If you look at their minutes, they're, they're up this year. Uh, they're playing a lot of minutes. So you know, they're not as potent, as dangerous as they were. And I'm sure when that trade happened, a team like the Clippers, a guy like Chris Paul, all of a sudden saw an avenue to the finals that maybe wasn't there before.
1: Is there a sleeper team in the West? I mean, I know San Antonio, they're always good in the regular season, but can they put the full season together? Um, who would be like your sleeper team if it wasn't Oklahoma City or the Clippers?
3: Well, I think, you know, I, think the, I mean the Spurs are always I would never call them a sleeper. I mean they're going to be right there right. In, in this equation. they gonna be right there at the end. You know, Denver is a team that, that kind of reconstituted itself in the offseason and started slowly and that's playing a lot better. Uh, I think that they are going to be, by the time the playoffs come around, a dangerous out, a, a, a tough out, especially with, you know, a guy like Iguodala. It's, it's taken them a little time because, you know, when you're bringing in a guy like Iguodala, getting rid of a Flalo who they had, you know, that's going to take time. But, no, they're a team I wouldn't really want to see if I'm, like, a one seed and they're, a, you know, a five. Or, well, I, I guess they wouldn't. It's going it's to be hard to crack that top four in the West. But if they're um, – you know, they're a team that could hang around and, uh, and and make an impact. And then, you know, the other teams, it's hard to call a sleeper, but it's the Lakers. Right. So I, I mentioned that earlier, Steve, yeah. but what if they do go into the playoffs as an eight seed and they're playing the Clippers or the Thunder? I mean, that will be an incredible series. You know, the, that Laker team, if they're in there as an eight, um, you know what, what, what do you really do with them? Because they are sort of built for the playoffs. They're Just like the Clippers are built for the regular season, and, and the Spurs too, with their depth, the Lakers are built for the playoffs with kind of a shorter rotation. Um, guys will be better in the half court. So I would, in that, um, in that circumstance, consider them a sleeper.
1: Well, I started with the West intentionally because I knew eventually the topic had to turn to Miami. And it seems like with each passing day that goes by from the decision... <clears throat> the lone mistake in a great career by someone who's putting it together one of the greatest careers in NBA history it seems like we're getting back to realizing just how great lebron james is and maybe that happened it happened for me sometime in the middle of last season when you were telling me stories about him making sure uh, they took pictures with troops or things like that I just kept hearing and hearing and hearing and it's like this guy is just dominating the league
3: yeah, he is. He's, he's so efficient. You know, you look at his you know, field goal percentage, and he's just a smart player. He's a really smart player. He doesn't take a lot of risks. You know, some of the the reckless play that you know, even Kobe who's having a great season. It's like you look at LeBron's field goal percentages and efficiency numbers, and um, it's off the charts compared to other guys. And defense. I mean, he really does everything on the floor, the way he moves the ball. So that's what's interesting about these conversations, Steve. I have them all the time. Like, who's a contender? Who's not? Who can win it all? You know, can the Clippers win the championship? But when it comes down to it, LeBron may be at that level now where it doesn't really matter, where it's all sort of for drill, the regular season, and that he's just going to take over in the finals again and going to win another one. And, and I could totally see that unfolding. I mean, the thing I'll say about the Heat is, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, but they're really not defending. And when you go back to even at the beginning, even when they were horrible, when they were eight and nine, they always played defense. And that's what's the difference between them and these Lakers, is that those guys, even when it was a mess, um, they never stopped playing hard. They never stopped really defending. And so it became something that even when They weren't great offensively. They could always hang their hat on it. And then when the offense came and they started to kind of develop a rhythm, well, then they were almost unbeatable because they had both sides, both facets figured out this year. They've been a mess defensively. They're worse than the wizards defensively. They're down with the Lakers. And you wonder if they're just waiting to kind of flip that proverbial switch. And they are talented enough to do that. Um, and I and I think they probably will do it, you know, once they kind of get their mind into it and, and get motivated in the playoffs. But it's a little disturbing to see that fall into the to, to the depths that it has.
1: Is it possible that LeBron, with Wade and the rest of what that team has, is potentially breeding another generation of Karl Malones and Charles Barkleys, guys who just played at the wrong time? As far as go, you know, uh, I guess you were talking about how. He is, um, let me rephrase that, I guess. He, you were talking about how it just might not matter. And I think back to growing up and watching the NBA, and it just didn't matter with, when it came exactly. to Jordan and the Bulls. You know, Maybe LeBron is, breed, is breeding that new generation of superstars who just won't be able to
3: get over the LeBron hump. No, and it's, it's very possible. And that's why that Oklahoma City deal, I think, was so baffling. Um, it was a good deal. They made a good trade. They got a lot of talent back. It made a lot of sense, um, but if you're really trying to win a title, you want to keep that window. You don't just want to have the window open as long as you can. You want to have it open as wide as you can, and they had it open, and I think that LeBron and Durant, there was a real possibility that they would just keep going back at each other, and it wouldn't be like Jordan. It would be more like Bird and Magic where they would be trading titles, and then when they didn't keep Harden, now it's kind of back to three against two again. I mean, if the Heat played the Thunder right now in the finals, nobody would pick the Thunder. Uh, and that's because the Heat has that third player. It, you know, it, 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 it we're, and that assumes that Durant is even on the same level or a comparable level to LeBron, which I don't know that you can do. Uh, but, no, you're right. It has to be an incredibly special team, I think, to knock off LeBron um, and the Heat in the playoffs unless the Heat – keep kind of slacking in this way on defense, and you get a team like the Knicks that, that catches fire from three um, and is able to knock them off. We're
1: about not even halfway in, but would that be the team that you would call the biggest threat to the Heat, so to speak?
3: Uh, I mean, they're a threat just because it's kind of like an NCAA tournament. If a team gets really hot from three, they, they can beat you. The, the Knicks have great three-point shooting. They take a lot of them. And when they make them, they could beat anybody. And if they don't, they can lose to anybody. Right. I, I still have a hard time seeing the Knicks as a real threat to the Heat, although I know they've beaten badly um, in the two meetings so far in the regular season. The Knicks recently have kind of come back to earth a little bit. They lost to Boston last night. I, you know, I think they're, they're on a bit of a skid here. Um, and, and I don't necessarily know that at the end of the season they're even going to have – that two seed, but if they do, and if it does come down to them in Miami at the end, um, they're going to need to be really hot from three for a week or two um, to knock them off. Because I don't think that they're um, the Knicks are just going to kind of beat them playing normal basketball, playing their normal basketball. They need one of those, some of those simulating performances from Jr. Smith, from Anthony. That's who the Knicks are, though. They're kind of a volatile team. They're capable of wild swings. So I wouldn't necessarily want to see him in the playoffs um, if I were the heat, but they could go cold and and they could also be an easy out
1: all right. I always like to ask you this at pretty much at the end because it just i'm re- I'm real curious about it, and that what's going on with the last few number one picks? I always like to get an update on um you know Cleveland Washington, and New Orleans have had the last three number one picks, and none of them has more than nine wins and I know stuff like that doesn 't happen overnight but you would think with Washington being the furthest away, I mean, what's going on with John Wall? Is this guy going to be what he was supposed to be? And Yeah, he's coming back. I mean, he's he's
3: been hurt all season. He's coming back um, this week, it looks like. And, you know, they're a mess. I mean, there's a, they've been a mess around him ever since they got him, and they've kind of been clearing out dead weight and trying to rebuild. I mean, they had a lot of... Um, very talented but very flaky players, guys like JaVale McGee and Andre Blatch and Nick Young, and and they've tried to kind of clear that out and change the culture there around Wall. But it takes a long time to do that. And you know, John Wall, I'm sure, will be losing patience very soon with what's happened in Washington because his stock, I mean, he's seen all of these great point guards take off around the NBA, and, and he's never mentioned among those. I never hear uh, he his was, name. Well, pardon me? I never hear his name. You never hear his name, never. and and that's because his team is so lousy. I mean, even like Kyrie Irving, his team is no good either, um, but there's more of a sense of hope, I think, there. Um, it's like Cleveland's building a house. Washington had to tear down a house and now start building it, and so they're just beginning that process, and, and Wall hasn't been able to be that kind of player who – can take over without a lot around him. So, so far, he's been a disappointment. um, But I can tell you that people around the NBA blame Washington and that environment there for a lot of his struggles. And I think he's still a guy who, like if you were on the trade market, I still think there would be a lot of teams interested in him.
1: All right. It's uh, Lee Jenkins finishing up his 13th appearance, or 12th appearance on the Sportscasters. Um, Senior writer for Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. What can we look forward to uh, reading from you soon? Anything? Oh, I've got a couple coming up, so um, yeah, it should be a uh, it, it should be a fun month. Okay, we'll look forward to it. Thank you very much for doing this, as always, Lee. Thanks, Steve. Take care, everybody. Thank you. All right, let's thank our guests, Greg Wyshynski and Lee Jenkins, for being on the show today. Two very reliable, old-school sportscasters, guys. That's right. Both of them pretty much been with us since day one. I think Greg Wyshynski maybe made his debut on episode two.
2: He was real early. Real
1: early, and Jenkins not much later than that. Uh, Also, um, don't forget to check us out at Football Nation, www.footballnation.com. This week we have Mike Tannier From sportsunearth.com, which is one of our new favorite websites out there. It's almost getting past the point of being able to call it new, but it's still relatively (laughs) new. Uh, Also, facebook.com slash the sportscasters, at sports underscore casters on Twitter, the sportscasters at gmail.com, and www.sports-casters.com. Okay, where we stand at the break was 11 and 9 for me, 9, 10, and 1 for Don. Pretty similar uh but for pick four this week, instead of doing it based on our normal structure, we're simply going to pick the four playoff games in the NFL this week and you can take it any way you want, then. All
2: right, I'll go right in order then. Saturday's first game at four thirty on CBS is the Ravens at the Broncos. Uh like I said earlier, I think the Broncos have the least flaws and, and like you said, Peyton versus Flacco. I'm gonna take Peyton in that. We're the line has actually here. shifted for toward yeah. my favor. I had 10 written down. It looks like it's 9, so I'll take Denver minus 9.
1: Yeah, I'm taking Denver minus 9 too. Like I said, I think the Ravens are maybe due for a letdown this week. Plus, I don't think the Ravens are very good. They finished the season very poorly. Yeah. And Kerry J. Byrne told us on our other podcast that statistically speaking, the Colts were one of the worst playoff teams to ever qualify. Um, for so to beat, them so exactly, to beat yeah. them isn't exactly making me think that they can go into Denver in the thin air and beat on a short week. Right, they played Sunday, so it's a short week for them. That's right. Yeah. Um, and beat a rested team led by Peyton Manning, who's seven and one at home. I just
2: I don't see it. I put it in the thirty-one fourteen range. Second game that night is Packers at the 49ers. It's the 8 o'clock primetime game on Fox. Uh, maybe the game of the week. I don't know. There's a lot of star power in all these games, so not, hopefully it'll be a better weekend. They of call this
1: the biggest, the, usually the best weekend of the season.
2: Yeah, because you got all you the bye teams yeah. playing and before they get knocked out if they do. Uh, Packers at 49ers. The 49ers are at home. Maybe the best defense other than Seattle. Uh, I... 6-1-1 one and one at home, I just don't see it. And they're a favorite, so if I go with Green Bay, I get some points. So give me the Packers plus three. Again, yep. like you said, Rodgers versus Kaepernick.
1: Mike Tanier thinks I'm oversimplifying a little bit with it on that, but that's what it's about to me. This is a quarterback league, and there's just no way I'm picking Colin Kaepernick to beat Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game. I just think there's going to be moments, critical moments in this game, where Aaron Rodgers is going to be the guy that you want to have the ball in his hand. And he's going to make whatever play necessary. And I'm getting points, like you said. So I'm going to take those points all day with the Packers.
2: The way I see it is you kind of get two chances. If you go up, obviously it's oversimplifying it to say that Green Bay is going to want to score early and make Kaepernick throw. Because obviously you want to score every time you touch the ball. But. If you're a Green Bay fan and Green Bay goes up early, you probably got to think that you've got it wrapped up because Kaepernick and the 49ers aren't built to come from behind. But if Green Bay gets behind, your offense is built to come from behind. So
1: And you take the Brady blueprint that was laid out for you just right. a few weeks
2: ago and you try to attack the defense that way. I mean, they're not the greatest road team, Green Bay, this year, but they've lost to the Giants, Colts, and Seattle. Three playoff teams. On the road. So, I mean, and Minnesota. Oh, the Giants didn't make the playoffs. So, but oh, right. still three Right, right, three teams. quality teams. I mean, and a couple of those losses were early in the season when they were kind of trying to get their wits about them for whatever reason. They had a slow start. But, yeah, give me give me Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. The next game, Sunday. Is really hard. One o'clock. Seattle right now at Atlanta. Uh, it's a one-point game, so basically a pick em. Atlanta's favored. And that's basically because you get three points just for being at home. I got Atlanta minus one. I'm going to take Seattle plus one. We've talked about how we don't trust the Falcons. Uh, Seattle's done it. I think Seattle c- can beat you methodically. And I don't trust the Falcons' offense enough to be able to beat the Seahawks' defense. It, this it, this isn't Aaron Rodgers versus the Seahawks. This is Matt Ryan against the Seahawks. So I think Seattle just wins by not making mistakes in forcing Atlanta into mistakes. So give me Seattle on the road plus one they're only three and five on the road though amazingly they've lost every or all of their losses have come on the road this This
1: is really hard game i know seattle has built a lot of momentum over the course of the season and i know that we've kind of fought atlanta all season right you know we've never been cheerleaders for them at all but i'm gonna pick atlanta i think that uh i think that there's no way that this season for them can end this way to a rookie quarterback at On home. On the road, yeah. Or at home for them. Right? Where they've been 7-1 and one all season. I just, I don't know. It's just a gut feeling. It's really close. It wouldn't surprise me if I'm wrong here uh, because of the momentum that Seattle's built. I think
2: they were undefeated at home. No, they were 7-1. and one. ESPN's got something wrong, then. They must have an extra away game or an extra home game for them. Because I got every loss at Miami, at Detroit, at San Francisco, at St. Louis, at Arizona.
1: They lost the last week of the season against
2: Tampa Bay at home. Sunday what am December I looking 30th. at? Wow, they, they have their Sunday, December 30th was versus St. Louis. Are you sure you're not looking at Seattle? I am looking at Seattle. No, that's what I mean. Seattle is undefeated at home. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, were, the, oh, I was saying that. Oh, uh, okay. I was saying Atlanta
1: is seven and one. Wow. Okay. Some confusion there. Right, which is why I just don't think this season is going to end for them in this well, round. But I don't think it's going to end for them in this. Well, the flip side either. of that is,
2: I guess I was surprised. The reason I looked it up because I was surprised how bad Seattle was three and five on the road.
1: And don't forget, Seattle played in Washington last week. Elected to go home. And now they're going to fly back to Atlanta, play a one o'clock game. You always worry about West the West Coast, Coast, Coast teams, teams at one, one Yeah, historically bad. Yep. Uh, so we'll see about all that if that me- really means anything. But I'm, it's a coin flip to me, and I'm just going to lay Tip the, point the and take taking Atlanta. Yeah.
2: The last game, Texans at the Pats. This to me is the no-brainer game. The Pats are getting, giving ten points at home. To me, there's no way the Texans win this game. I talked about this on the other show as my one last thing, if you listen to the Football Nation podcast. The Texans look like a one-and-done team. Had they run into anybody other than Cincinnati, they would have lost last week. Uh, I know a, a reporter, supposedly, Arian Foster kind of did a funny thing. Did you see it on Twitter? He took this reporter's article and made it his avatar, and the avatar's, uh, the article basically said, it's a Boston reporter that said something along the lines of, uh for the first time in NFL history the Patriots are getting two bye weeks. Oh <laughs> so Arian Foster made that article his uh
1: It's a strong statement considering they're a twelve and four team with
2: six and two on the road. To yeah just call him a bye week. That said, I, I'd love to see him lose for that point of view. I mean that's kinda cocky writing a little bit there, but uh I, I don't I don't see any way in which they lose this game and I don't see any way that they don't win it big. They just they just played this game and they won it big. Houston, I've said before, in every big test they've had this year has failed, and it failed kind of miserably. So there's no way they win this game to me.
1: I think it's an easy game plan for the Patriots, and I don't like when I see an easy game plan and Bill Belichick had two weeks to discover it on his own. Uh, I think you got the best big-game game game plan coach in the league, and you have maybe the best big-game quarterback in the league, and you're rested and healthy and at home and you're playing a team that has was eleven and one and finished the season twelve and four.
2: Without two weeks to play, they beat him forty two to fourteen. They followed that up with a loss in San Francisco against a better defense, but they figured San Francisco out by the end of that game too. I I just think they're dialed in.
1: Yeah, I I'm taking the Patriots plus minus ten all, all day here. Yep. It's a lot of points to lay in a playoff game to a twelve and four team, but
2: Tell that's an order game.
1: True. Notre Dame was a ten-and-a-half point dog. Yeah. Yep, Then they were the number one team in the country, technically.
2: Yeah, and I'll get into that on the other show. If you want to hear me bitch about, about that point, that'll be my one last thing on the Football Nation podcast.
1: All right, that's just about going to do it for today's show. Welcome back. Um, thanks to Greg Wyshynski and Lee Jenkins again. And I can tell you that next week, the creator of Deadspin, uh, Will Leach, is going to be on the show. So
2: we look forward to that. Do you think he'd be mad if I called his website the uh, TMZ for sports?
1: Probably not because he's not there anymore. He he handed it down and off to the other Deadspin guy we had on back in season number one or two. He also writes for Sports on Earth now and does some other things. But ultimately, he was the creator of Deadspin.
2: Sweet. I'm sure he made some nice bank for that. Yep. So
1: we will uh, be back with you next week with Will and someone else. All right.